Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully.
Our gospel reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter, about halfway through the chapter. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to him, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My friends, in today's readings, we're reminded that following God in Christ often means we must give up much of our freedom to do as we will. We become bound by our love of God and our love for other people, but through this slavery to goodness, we're able to accomplish great things, eternal goodness, and find our new identity in a life without guilt, for we know that what we're now doing is right and proper. Our readings give us examples. Jeremiah was active as a prophet at the time of the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of Solomon's temple. Outsiders conquered the city. He began his ministry about 40 years before this during the reign of Josiah, who was a good king of Judah, who had led the nation to turn from worshiping idols back to the worship of God. Unfortunately, Josiah's sons and grandsons and other descendants turned back to idol worship. And God told Jeremiah that disaster was coming if they did not turn back to the worship of God. In our reading, God has Jeremiah to go visit a potter, a man who worked clay into pots and similar goods. While Jeremiah was watching, the pot the man was working on was damaged, so the potter reworked the clay into a different pot. And at that point, God spoke to Jeremiah. God said, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, 
then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. We are like clay in the hands of a master potter. God forms us and shapes us as God wills. A good potter understands the clay, understands that the clay is always different, and he works with it, but still the potter has ultimate control over the form of the pot. So it is between God and us. God works with us, but ultimately to be a follower of God means that we accept that God knows so much more about what is good for us than we do. And if we resist the will of God too much, like bad clay, we will be reformed as a potter would give up on a particular form for a batch of clay and start again to make another pot. Next example, have you noticed the prayer we say each week? It's a prayer I encourage you to say whenever you sit down to read or listen to Scripture. Holy Father, this is your word for my life at this time and in this place. Today I'm a new creation in Christ, and I believe that he has a purpose for my life. Open my heart to the workings of your word and your Holy Spirit that I may be transformed into your new creation. Amen. In this prayer, look what we're doing. We're accepting that the scriptures we read are intended for us today and here where we are. We also accept that we're newly created in Christ. The old person is gone and Jesus has a new purpose for our life. And then we not only give permission to God, we ask God to change us into his new creation, molded as a potter molds clay. We understand that scripture and the Holy Spirit work together to take us from this ugly lump of clay into a beautiful vessel of God's creation. And key to that is recognizing that we are not finished being created. More and more transformation is yet to come and will be good for us and those who watch us and we want to be transformed. But once again, if we fight against God, the vessel may be spoiled and God will have to start over again. And so mature Christians look at the daily trials and tests, the struggles and the events of our lives and say, what is God trying to teach me today? What did I learn? How am I becoming stronger and more beautiful through what God is putting me through? For God wants each of us to become beautiful, strong souls. So allow God to form you and transform you as God wills, even though it may not seem pleasant at the time or what we want at the time. Third example. In the letter to Philemon, Paul's writing to an old friend. We have in front of us today the entire letter. It's a very short book in the Bible, one of the shortest. Philemon was a wealthy Christian who Paul had apparently met years before and brought to Christ. Apparently, Philemon owned a slave named Onesimus, which is Greek for useful. 
One way or another, Onesimus ended up at Paul's house, and after converting Onesimus to become a follower of Christ, Paul was sending Onesimus back home to Philemon, his former owner, along with this letter. In Roman society, over half of the people were slaves. Some were highly skilled and some were laborers. At this time, while the owners of slaves no longer had the right to kill their slaves, they still had the right to decide which work the slave would do and the care and the feeding of those slaves. So the owners had many ways to punish a disobedient or runaway slave. Under normal conditions, the slave Onesimus could expect a difficult time when he returned to his owner Philemon. But all three men, Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, were now Christ followers, and that changed things dramatically. In this letter, Paul puts on both men the special burdens and joys of being Christian. He pleads with Philemon to accept Onesimus back and welcome him as he would have welcomed Paul. Why? For Onesimus, useful. Onesimus had previously been useless, but now he was a Christian believer, was useful now to both Philemon and Paul. For Onesimus would now do what was right and proper without trouble, and Paul also expected Philemon to do what was right and proper toward Onesimus, his slave. All three men, you see, have given up some of their personal freedom because they now followed Jesus and would instead of doing what they wanted to do and what they felt like doing, would now do what is right. Onesimus would return to Philemon and work hard for him. Philemon would accept Onesimus back and treat him as a Christian brother. And Paul would give up a very useful servant and slave because returning him to Philemon was the right thing to do. And so Philemon won, for his useless slave had come back and was now useful. Onesimus won, for Philemon would now treat him better because he was useful. And Paul won because he would now have more examples to point to of the joys of following Jesus. Next example, and it's very much to the point. In our gospel reading, Luke tells us that large crowds were now following Jesus. They were traveling with him. The crowds had gr grown dramatically, but Jesus now felt that too many of them were following him for the wrong reasons. They were following him because of free food, other miracles. They wanted stuff from him, healing, miracles, food, an interesting afternoon, a few words, bashing the people they hated. He had become a spectacle. And he wanted people to follow him who understood just how important it was to follow him fully, totally, not just treat him as entertainment. And he wanted to make sure the crowd understood the real costs of truly following Jesus. So he turned to the crowd and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and brother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And he said, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus was asking for a serious commitment. If you love the life that you've been living, then maybe you're following Jesus simply 
because it's something to do. It's a way to pass time. You become a fan. Jesus wants people who are seriously committed to following him, not coming along because of the entertainment or the food. He even makes the point that you have to carry your own cross. You cannot let others do all the work for you. Why the harsh words about family? Because there will be times when your family will not understand the choices that you make. For there will be times when you need to choose between family and Jesus. It isn't just limited to choosing between family members who won't follow Jesus and what Jesus asks. There'll be times when the choice is between doing what Jesus asks and your Jesus following family time. Your Jesus followers in the family and their expenses, family issues. And this is why it's so important for your entire family to be on board, to come to church, to understand as you develop a ministry, whether it's a professional ministry or simply a ministry, a volunteer ministry, maybe a phone calls of cards and letters, of visits, or support ministries like working on trustees or singing in the choir or bringing donuts in the morning. For there will be times when people will be counting upon you, both in your ministry and in your family. And you're going to have to make a choice. Which is more important today? Economists speak of opportunity cost. When we spend $20 to buy a steak, we give up the ability to spend that same $20 on a couple months of Disney Plus streaming. We're always giving up something and choosing to spend our money on something else. This is the opportunity cost. We teach our children to ch choose. We teach them about this. They've got to choose between buying an ice cream cone today or a new toy. For every time we give up an opportunity, we, well, we give up an opportunity every time we choose a different opportunity. And the same goes with our time. If we choose to spend an hour sleeping in on Sunday mornings, we give up an hour in church. A couple hours our children spend on the volleyball team may come at the cost of a couple hours spent learning about God and the youth group. Sometimes you have to get to sleep earlier on Saturday nights, don't you? We can spend time with our children, our relatives, or we can spend time studying our Bible. We have to decide which is more important in the long run. Jesus asks us to consider the cost of following him. He said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you've got enough money to, com to complete it? Because if you lay the foundation and aren't able to finish it, and everyone who sees it then is going to make fun of you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. He says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. That's an ominous line, isn't it? For we might consider it to mean that to follow Jesus means we have to give up everything else. But can I just show up for an hour on Sunday mornings? Can I just listen to a half-hour sermon on the radio? Isn't that enough time to spend on religious things? And this is where we have to sit back and we have to consider things very deeply. Imagine an old-fashioned set of balance scales, the type where two pans hang by chains from a central pivot. On the one side, we put the good things of the world, 
wealth and family, sports, not WVU sports, but other sports, <laughs> hobbies, our homes, our vacations, sleep, our spouses, the approval of other people. But you know, here we also have to put some rough things, illness, the fear of the unknown, which is death. On the other side of the scales, we simply put the approval of Christ, God who walked on the earth. Here is peace, a lifetime of odd looks from other people, time spent talking to someone we cannot see and whom we can rarely hear, and again, odd looks from other people. Here, though, is the certainty of eternal life. If we choose the good things of the world, you know, we may still be able to squeeze in some Jesus. We may still be able to follow Jesus a bit on Sunday mornings. We may still be able to see Jesus beyond the grave, but he says, give up everything. So if we choose Jesus, he may allow us good things or struggles. He may use us to do wonderful things or he may keep us on the spiritual bench while life goes on. He may allow us to spend time with our families and take them on great adventures, or he may ask us to walk away from them for a while, going to strange places with strange people. But one thing is certain, at the end of time, after our physical death, we will find ourselves still following Jesus, still listening to his words, still being protected from danger in eternal life because he has promised us if we follow him. For Jesus protects those who choose him. He tests our courage, but ultimately he takes care of his own. But we must be willing to leave everything behind. In the winter of 2013, I was preparing to graduate from seminary. I'd been teaching mathematics while I was going to seminary. For almost five years, I was over at Parkersburg Catholic teaching high school mathematics and several semesters at the local colleges. We had a couple of acres of ground in Lowell with a nice house, an orchard, grapevines, friends in the area that we developed, and I was contacted by the government of Dubai about teaching mathematics in that Middle Eastern country on the Persian Gulf and had an interview in Chicago on a very, very cold, windy day. I can still remember just how cold it was. They offered me a job. Teaching on this little island in the Persian Gulf, not the big one there, the one in the upper left corner, 6,000 people, we would be the only Christians there. Sandra and I discussed it at length. You know, only Andy would still be with us that fall. The older children were graduating and off to various places. Andy, knowing how much his mother and I love to talk about, uh, about Christ, said, I figure we've got six months and then mom will have learned how to speak in Arabic and then we will be martyrs. But we had decided to take the opportunity to be missionaries, trusting in God to provide and protect. But just a couple days before we had to make the final decision, Jesus decided that we needed to go to Clarksburg. Me to become a full-time pastor, Sondra to become a part-time pastor, later a full-time pastor, and Andy eventually to become a full-time pastor. Jesus took care of us because we had decided to give up everything and follow him, leading and teaching people to understand his love for us. 
We left behind my mother and father in St. Mary's. We had been able to go there regularly. We left behind our home of 10 years. We love that home. We left behind a very well-producing orchard and grapevines and many friends. For we had counted the cost and decided that following Jesus, committing to a life spent with Jesus, was ultimately worth leaving behind all those people and things. Jesus says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. We all must make the decision that Jesus comes first and second and third, or we're only half-hearted disciples, fans of Jesus sitting in the stands rather than followers of Jesus playing on the field. Yes, this is hard to understand, especially when we're told by so many people that all we have to do is believe in Jesus and we will be saved and that's all we ever have to do. But Jesus told people to believe in him only a couple of times while he told people, follow me over 80 times. Can we follow by just showing up on Sunday mornings or just listening to the radio or just watching Facebook Live? Following means we have to get up and walk. We have to do. And we talk about Jesus in person, over the phone, on Facebook. We learn everything we can about Jesus. So when we meet new people, we can speak to them intelligently about Jesus and his love. Now I've asked you in the past to make a list of 12 friends, 12 people, maybe they're not even friends, whom you don't think know Jesus. That list can be family or friends, that man at AutoZone, that gal at Kroger's. It can be your doctor on the list, your nurses, your receptionists. But make that list of 12 people, put it on your refrigerator, and pray for those people daily. Pray for them to come to know the love of Jesus. And plan to speak with them weekly or monthly. And say something to them about Jesus or praise God, or explain something you learned in a sermon. Just have a conversation that touches on God. This is the time this fall to get serious about speaking to people about God, Jesus, and this church, for this is the time when people are deciding what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. Are they going to continue to sit home like they did at COVID, or are they going to come out, and are they going to get involved? For you can imagine that everyone has a dial on their heart with a hundred clicks. And every time you talk to them about God, you move that dial a click or two. And when the dial reaches a hundred, they'll want to learn more about Jesus, perhaps even become a Christian. You can click that dial for everyone you speak to about the good things God has done. And other people can be clicking that dial at the same time. And there will be some people out there who are trying to turn that dial back. But when enough people have spoken enough about the good things that God has done, people want to believe. This is our mission as committed Christians, to share the love we've already found with other people. For you know, there's always been people who want Jesus to always do things for them, to entertain them, to make them feel good, to give them what they want, 
like the crowd that Jesus was speaking to on that day on the way to Jerusalem. But Jesus wants disciples who understand that there is a cost to following him, for he didn't want and still doesn't want fans. He wants followers who are willing to do what he asks. How about you? Are you a fan of Jesus? Or are you a committed follower and disciple of Jesus, ready to put friends and family and the good things of life on the line so you can follow Jesus more closely? For after all, he paid a terrible price to bring us eternal life. For he would soon be beaten and carry a real cross on his back and be nailed on that cross until he died. And he asked us to do something terrible to simply tell many, many people what he did for us with his body and his blood. Isn't it a terrible price that we pay for eternal life? Isn't it a price worth paying? Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.